15, starting at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does, not, that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Thanks, Dan. That was such a good uh, kids talk that I feel a bit redundant now. You know, he covered basically everything I was going to say. I don't know how to fix this. Give me a second. All right. So it's the new year, as you know, and I figured we'd talk about life a bit, about the full life, because it's that time of year where optimism starts riding really high. You know, we start thinking about all of the things we can accomplish. Some of us think about how many books we can read this year. Others of us may think how many times a day we need to go to the gym to be able to burn off all the holiday fat we accumulated. But it's also a time to stop and think. It's a milestone. It's a time to think, where are we getting our life from? Where is our drive, our, our passion, our energies? Where's our hope devoted and where is it derived? So let's take a quick little look at what Jesus is doing in John 15. See, here Jesus is alone with his disciples. These are the last few chats that he's going to have with them before he goes to the cross and he dies. And in those final moments, the disciples' entire world will crumble. And Jesus, with these last few talks, he's concerned about how they will live when he goes. He's concerned about how they will access the abundant life that he's been talking about for the last several chapters of John. So starting in chapter 13 and becoming more prominent in chapter 15, Jesus starts to tell them that the life they will need to live in these end times 
is going to have to have a supernatural connection. It's going to have to have a divine connection for them to endure. So Jesus, he takes them from the upper room and he leads them through a vineyard on his way to the garden where he's going to be betrayed. And here he speaks the words that will change the playing ground of history. Here he speaks the words that would have a profound impact on their understanding of what the full life is. He says, I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. You are the branches. See, these words would have really struck to the hearts of the disciples. Throughout the history of God and man, Israel was time and again referred to as the vine of God. This vine that Jesus is referring to now was always understood to be Israel. Israel was supposed to be God's blessing for the world. Israel was supposed to be the way in which God reestablished his reign and his rule among his people. Israel was supposed to be the place where full life could have been accessed. But just like the disciples, we know that Israel couldn't do it. It wasn't cut out for it. Israel was cut off and Israel was burned and judged several times. And through the prophet Isaiah, Israel was given the hope that one day the vine of the Lord would be beautiful and glorious. So right here, Jesus says, now your life will be in me. Now I am the vine. Israel is no longer the vine. This, this faulty vine is done. I am the vine. I am the perfect vine where you will receive life. Your abundant life is in me. I am God's, pl- God's plan for blessing. So first, unsurprisingly, we find that the crux of the abundant life, of the full life, of a life fully alive, is the mystical union of the Son of God, of Jesus and you. Think for a moment. Over 2014, think for a moment. Because we have so many options. We have so many choices. Where did you draw your life from? Let's think practically of what Jesus is saying right here because we have to understand that Jesus is a practical teacher. Where are you going to draw your life from in 2015? I think a big one can be achievement. It's a big one for me. How much I can achieve, how much I can establish for myself in this world. I was reading a news article on Michael Jordan this week. If you don't know who Michael Jordan is, I'll have to forgive you for being Australian, but he is an incredibly famous basketball player. And he comes from the world's best city, which also happens to be my city, Chicago. Anyway, over the course of his career, which lasted nearly three decades, he became a legend. Uh, potentially the best basketball player the world has ever seen. He had six championships, 14 all-star appearances, five most valuable player awards, a shoe contract with Nike, and even a movie deal, Space Jam. He had everything that we could ever imagine happening, things that maybe we can't even dream of having. And as it happens, if you achieve that much on the court, you get a lot off the court as well. You know, now he's got yachts and mansions and businesses. He's got so much money. He has like 100-year-old wine in his cellar and stuff like that. He has it all, but at the age of 50, he's also lost it all. His life was tied to the game. In this article, we find out that his life was so closely linked to achievement in the game that now that his ability to play is lost, his life is lost. And he says these things. 
How can I enjoy the next 20 years without so much of this consuming me? How can I find peace away from the game of basketball? See, we have to make no mistake. If we try to find our life source away from Jesus, particularly as Christians, if we try to find our true life away from Jesus, if we seek to find our fullest joy through things like peace in relationships and in love or in community or in money or affluence or comforts or success levels or levels of education or even just the simple things such as good food and good family and the good life, there will come a day when that crumbles. We've seen it happen time and again with people who have had it all, and we are hardly people who have it all. The crux of the abundant life must rest in union with our maker, in union with Christ. It has to for us to endure. So in 2015, we've got this choice. We've got this choice that we've had year after year, day after day. But because it's a milestone, we have the ability to step back and think about what we will do. And it boils down to two lives. Will you have the the life that 1 John calls death? Will you, as a believer in Christ, or maybe not a believer in Christ, will you live in what 1 John calls death? It's a life that is connected to self-pleasure. It's an existence that chases achievements. It chases fulfillment in good things, in family and friends and a good job or in acceptance. But ultimately, we're told that it's an existence that will not bring the life you are looking for. It might be an existence that makes sense to people in the world, but in the end, it leads to death. It will not fill the void that you feel. Because here's the thing. So many people have gone before us. So many have chased these things that we only dream about and actually captured these things that we only dream about. Yet they lived and they died in misery. They had it all, but they weren't connected to a true life source. Michael Jordan lives in misery. Kurt Cobain, the lead singer of Nirvana, he had the lifestyle of a rock star, all the pleasure he could find, yet tragically ended his own life in a state of despair. This list, it, it could go on and on again and again. It is tragic, but it proves the reality that if we are not connected to the true life source, we can have all that the world offers and have nothing. And we can spare ourselves from repeating that tragic folly by taking these tragic examples to heart. Yet, you have the choice. There's the other choice, a choice that Jesus offers. It's a a life with this man named Jesus, a resurrected life. It's a life that enabled the missionary David Brainyard, in spite of both tuberculosis and immobilizing depression, to cling to Jesus to the end of his life, a life that lasted about 29 years. It's a life source that today enables around 200,000 North Koreans to live in the worst anti-Christian regime that we know of today. We've got the examples. 
We've got the proof, we have the evidence that these people with everything, they actually had nothing. And these people with nothing, they actually have everything. Something is different about their lives to enable them to live the way they did, to endure things like tuberculosis and depression, and to endure things such as a regime that could put you in jail or kill you for being a Christian. See, it helps us understand that this life connected to the vine will at times be harder than you want or expect. It might even have you thinking, it's had me thinking sometimes, that I was possibly delusional when I decided that Jesus was Lord. That something had kind of flipped in my brain and I was just like, no, I've gone crazy. I started believing in this guy as king and Jesus is Lord. Yet, it is a life that is connected to the most glorious source and we see that through these people's examples. Connected to the only person who will never leave you when you feel delusional will never disown you when you say you think you're delusional. Will never be unfaithful to you when you are faithless in him. It is a life connected to King Jesus. King Jesus who is victor over death and Satan and sickness and mental illness and hedonism and your shame and your guilt and your sin and your failings. Who though he was slain, he rose. He really did. He rose three days later to give us this life that he's talking about in John 15. This life connected to the divine reality. This is ultimate reality. This is what we have to take heart and take into our hearts if we are going to live the abundant life. This is the one you will find your deepest fulfillment in. Connection to the true vine, obtaining the true blessings of the living God, and eventually the salvation of your soul. But how do we continue to receive life from that vine? That's what Jesus begins to talk about in John 15. Is it even important at all to try to receive life from that vine? What if, say, you happen to be a believer, but you consciously or unconsciously choose not to receive life from that vine? Choose not to live in a way where the grace of God can flow to you to give you abundant life. Because in John 15, as I was reading this, I started seeing that Jesus was starting to make astounding statements about this union. And if I'm going to be faithful to what Jesus is teaching here, then I have to take those to heart. As a whole, we see that the Bible is clear. Grace grafts us into the vine. It is believing in Jesus as King and Lord of your life, that you are connected to the vine. It puts us hand in hand with that very life source that we're always meant to have. But the question that Jesus starts to raise is, will we remain in his love? See, it appears we have this option. Will we remain in the love of Jesus, or won't we? Will we abide in Jesus, or won't we? Will we listen to his command to abide in him, or won't we? Because Jesus says, he says, abide in me. You cannot bear fruit apart from me. You can do nothing apart from me in this Christian life. 
And as Jesus brings them through this vineyard, he takes the metaphor further as he points to the vine. He says, not only can't you bear fruit without me, he says, in fact, if you don't bear fruit, you will be cut off and burned. Because without a connection to the vine, there is no life. Do you find this astounding? I certainly do. I don't want to believe Jesus here. I don't understand what he's saying. I mean, look at this, look at this context. Judas has left. Judas is the disciple that fell away. We know that. He betrayed Jesus. But these 11 disciples that are left, they are the ones that are the true disciples. They are the ones that will endure uh, till the end. The ones that will extend this message of the gospel of God's grace to the entire world and will send a reverberation through time to this very moment that we're experiencing now. And yet Jesus has the audacity to say that if you don't keep my commandments, you will not abide in my love. You must keep my commandments to have my life, my love, to bear fruit, to have my joy that is full, and to experience the life which is known as eternal life from the Father. Why is Jesus giving this warning? It could be so easy just to say, uh, well... He can't mean what he's saying. I'm just going just gonna to forget this warning. I'm not going to heed it. Why is he saying this? And I, I suggest it's because there's the distinct possibility that if we, as true believers, saved by grace, refuse to keep the commands of Jesus, we won't access the life that Jesus has for us in this life. We won't have access to this thing that he calls the abundant life. We won't have access at all to this joy that he says is full, that is from the Father, that is unlike any other joy that the world can give, that enables people in the worst situations to survive and believe in him as king. Because our branch won't be connected. How can life flow if the branch isn't connected? We will rarely ever experience true joy that is full from the Father if our branch is not connected. We will rarely, if ever, experience power and life in prayer if our branch is not truly connected. We will rarely, if ever, have this peace that passes understanding if our branch is not connected to the vine. If we don't have this vital connection with Jesus, we cannot expect to experience the life of Jesus that he talks about so often in his word. We need to heed this warning. It is absolutely vital that we connect with Jesus because the Christian life is not just about cruising by and holding your breath. It's not just about waiting till the end to figure out if you've made the cut because the vital connection with Jesus can change everything. It's not about holding your breath and waiting. When I was younger, um, uh, probably like fifth grade, I used to believe um, this idea that the best way to know if you were in God's love, the best way to know that if you had the life of God, was if you were taken when the rapture happened. That was the best way. I had no idea if there was any other way of knowing. And the rapture is this idea that when... Jesus 
returns. He'll come back and he'll collect his church and uh, they'll just simply vanish. Just right where they are. And the rest of the world will be left in the chaos of trying to understand where millions of people just went poof to. And um, my, my sister actually believed in this as well. She thought that was the best way of knowing as well. But it was less of a belief and more of a paralyzing fear. And as any good brother knows, the best thing to do is to find out what your sister's fears are and try to exploit them the best way you can. (sighs) Maybe you shouldn't do that. (laughs) But I did. So I was in about fifth grade, and my sister was in about third grade. And it was one fine summer day. Uh, My mom and my dad, they were at work, and there were just the four of us. I have two older brothers and my sister, who's here. Um... And we were home by ourselves. And my oldest brother, Chuck, who happens to be the nicest brother and the most likely to be a Christian, if you will, he decided that he was going to go on an errand, you know, just take off and go on an errand and without telling any of us. And so my sister comes to me sometime later when she figures it out, and she's like, Dan, where's Chuck? You know? She was a bit of an anxious child, so she was already really riled up at this point. She's like, Chuck's just gone, Dan. So immediately my brain starts cranking. I'm like, hmm, what can, I sk- what can I say that would scare the life out of her? What could I say that'll just send her crazy off the wall? And I had it. I was like, Cassie, my goodness, Cassie, I think the rapture happened. <laughs> I mean, think about it, Cassie. I'm left. You're left. Alex is left. That makes sense. Chuck's God. He's the only Christian in the family. I'm... It's reasonable, right? So she's starting to get a little bit worked up, but she, I haven't sealed the deal yet. She's not fully over the edge. She's getting really scared. So I up the ante a bit. I'm like, all right, Cassie, call mom at work. If mom answers the phone, then you know everything's okay because mom's a Christian. You know, mom will, mom will be here, you know, if the rapture hasn't happened. So she goes over, she grabs the phone, she dials up, and it, it rings, and it rings. And it rings, and it actually, it rings out. <laughs> no answer on the other side of the line. So by now, she's absolutely losing her mind with fear. And I'm like, just call again. She might be there. So she does it again. She calls. No answer. I have never seen my sister consumed with such fear to this day. Come to find out, my mom was just in the restroom. But it made a perfect example to scare her. Um, but this, that thought process, that we're holding our breath to the end, that thought process that the only way we can know is if we make it at the end underlies this entire problem because even as children we understand this cruising by in the Christian life it leaves us with no confidence holding our breath in the Christian life leads us with no confidence if we're not experiencing the life that Jesus talks about so often in the scriptures we have no confidence in the end Jesus says he has chosen us and appointed us to bear fruit that remains. And this is the warning that he gives with it. If you evaluate your life and see no evidence of the fruit of God, then you need to reevaluate your connection with Jesus. If you look at your life and you see no pattern 
of the fruit of God in your life, if you see no pattern of you attempting to live in the grace that he has given you, then you seriously need to reevaluate the connection that you have with Jesus. Because Jesus is speaking about a reality that will happen. Now, we all have those moments where we're out of sorts and things just aren't as we think they should be. But I'm talking about a pattern of life, something that distinguishes your life. Because the warning is here in John 15, and the options are here in John 15. Will we or won't we abide in his love? But the great thing about King Jesus is he does not leave us without tools of grace to abide in his love with. And we need to lay hold of these tools to help us abide in Jesus. So verse 7, he gives us a few things. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And this shows us the first tool of grace that we have, and that is the teaching of Jesus. See, foundational to abiding in Jesus is having his word abide in us. Foundational to being connected to the true vine is ingraining and believing in the teaching of Jesus. So first, we've got this. We must believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and we are saved by grace through faith. And then this connection to the vine, we must start by believing that the rest of his teachings are just as useful. That the rest of his teachings about the life of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ are just as useful. And we must act upon those beliefs. If we go back to Matthew 5 through 7, we are confronted with the Sermon on the Mount, which is a massive gold mine of practical teaching for everyday life. How to live in this new life that has been given to us by grace. It says that no longer is murder simply an act, it's also a thought that hatred and consuming anger is murder. It says no longer can you simply lust on the inside without acting upon it on the outside if you want to live in the life of God. No, 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 you must respect that other person and not even lust on the inside. It says that enemies, enemies, these Horrible, horrible people who do horrible things to us, like steal our coffee and cut us off and, you know, talk behind our back, that these people we need to treat like our friends. It also says that we can trust God for the practical needs of life, like food and money and how to pay your bills and if you're going to actually make it in the black this year, not the red. See, these are the things that we must not only believe in here that Jesus knows what he's talking about, that we can actually live that way, but we must also act upon those things. And trust me, it's not, it's not legalism. It's freedom. Imagine this. Imagine being free from that horrible, horrible feeling of anger and hatred. That is an awful feeling to have. It consumes you. Imagine freedom from that. Imagine being the kind of person, not all the time, but the kind of person that is struck on the cheek but doesn't want or, doesn't want or need to retaliate. This is the life Jesus is offering, being more and more like the life of God. It's freedom from lust, freedom from worry. Having his word abide in us means striving to live as Jesus would have us, striving to live this life that Jesus says is possible. 
and is giving us freedom from the sin that once had dominion over us. It's a freedom of life that Jesus offers if we believe that what he says about life is true. The second tool in that verse, if you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The second is vibrancy in prayer. We see twice in this passage, vibrancy in prayer is spoken of as a marker of the life that is abiding in Christ. It says you will receive whatever you ask. How often do we neglect prayer? It is very, very easy to neglect prayer. And I I suppose it's because prayer is so unnatural. If, If we are created in the image of God, we are, from the very beginning in perfection, we are meant to speak face to face with God. But because of sin and depravity, all of a sudden we've got this awkward situation where we have to speak to God, believing that someone's actually hearing us and we're not going insane. It's a difficult thing to do. But it is so rich and powerful. There is so much wealth of encouragement that can be found in a life that prays. There's such a vital store of life from the vine that can happen in a life that prays. I mean, I suggest this year that you commit to placing a priority on prayer. Just small steps. If you start too big, you, you, I mean, I know from experience, if you start too big, you just won't do it. You've got to start small. If you're new to prayer, there's also tons of good Christian resources. Even the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. So we need to be taught to pray as well. Prayer is such a rewarding journey. And it is absolutely vital, as we see in John 15, for a life that would abide in Jesus. And the third, the third tool that we see, the third tool of grace that we have is the commandment that Jesus has been continually referring to throughout the last couple of chapters. And I suggest it's likely the reason why we sometimes fail to experience the full life of God. It can be one of the factors. And in chapter 15, he finally makes it clear. In verse 12, he says what that commandment is. He says that you love one another is I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down their life for their friends. See, this is it. This is the key that Jesus has been alluding to this entire time, leading up to this point where he says, I am the vine. Fully realizing Jesus' love for us enables us to live in that love toward others. And it connects us to God's love and life through Jesus. When we love other people, when we follow that command to love other people, we get connected with the vine. This year, we need to consciously and intentionally love others. And just like prayer, it it might not come naturally to you, because we've been born and bred in this system of self-interest. We've been raised in a system where we always think about self. Everything orients around self. We're so sucked into this gravity of our own ego that we don't even see beyond ourselves at times. But we have to understand that spirituality was never meant to be something that was primarily isolated in your life. How we treat our brothers, how we treat our sisters, how we treat our friends and other people in this church gathering, and yes, how we treat our spouses 
intrinsically affects the degree to which our lives will be filled with the manifest presence of the kingdom of God. And that is the love and the life of God revealed through Jesus Christ. Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And my commandment is this, that you love one another as I have loved you. Accessing the love and the life of God that is spoken of so beautifully in these pages comes down to how we love other people. It's not isolated. And so often we forget, we we miss this. It's not about only you and God. It's about you, God, and the other. It's about all of us. If you read Jesus' life on this earth, one of his primary messages was to tell the religious people, stop thinking about how many times a day you pray or how much you read my word. Start upholding justice, you know? Stop trampling over the widow. Start loving people. Love your neighbor. If we expect to fully embrace the love and the life of God this year, we have to begin consciously and intentionally loving other people. And we can do this through taking an interest in people, listening to them when they talk about things that we consider boring, actually going out of our way to make them feel valued and make them feel loved, like giving them cupcakes or other baked goods. You can send them to 41 Station Road, Dan Peterson. But these aren't all the ideas. You can do other things as well. Actually going out of our way. But make no mistake, John 15 says, if we refuse to do this, or if we are too lazy to do this, we are refusing to live in the love and the life of God that has been revealed in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying your salvation is in danger, because that's grace and faith, but I'm saying your life in this world might be in danger. We're refusing to abide in Christ. So now, today, the start of 2015, January 4, if you aren't right with God, if you've never committed to Jesus as your king or as your Lord, if you've never recognized your failings and said, God, I'm sorry, and apologized for how often you fail, if you've never believed in him for salvation, that's your step. It's a simple step. Just believe in Jesus as Lord. Speak to him in any way that you would like. Tell him you trust him. Tell him the ways you have failed with your life and apologize and then ask to live in his life. And then another group of you. If you are right with God, if you've accepted salvation through grace, then your choice is this. Will you work through grace to live in the life and the love that Jesus has so clearly offered you? Will you take hold of that life source that is so glorious, so beautiful, so faithful? Or will you continue on the path of death that Jesus has freed you from? Living in your own self-interest. Your own kingdoms. Will you accept that Jesus has made you his friend and wants his life that has been pulsating from eternity past to fulfill your life in ways you can't even imagine, ways that you actually wouldn't even expect. Then your first step is prayer too. Comes back to that. Confess and he will cleanse you. First John tells us that. Simple as that. 
and pray that his spirit will empower you to move forward as a branch of the true vine that has an abundance of abiding fruit. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your glorious salvation, for your mercy that is extended to us, for your grace that is extended to us, and for the fact that you're not just leaving us as pitiful creatures, but you want us to access this life that is offered through the blood of Jesus. I ask that your spirit and your grace would empower us to see the ways in which we can live more fully alive in you. Thank you so much for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.